again. This year we'll be cruising up Somme Sound on Saturday, June 17th, leaving the Northeast Harbor Town Dock at 6 p.m. Everyone is invited to join us on the Sea Princess for the cruise before the fjord is declared unsound and its resources diverted for national security. The trip takes about three hours and we bring potluck finger food to share and you bring your own beverage. We'll check out local boatyards, view fake wildlife, and share stories with food in our mouths. Thanks again to Sea Princess Cruises for donating the Sea Princess. And if you'd like to check out the Sea Princess in advance, just go to their website, cruiseacadia.com. We put a tip jar out to help pay for the fuel. The boat is fully covered and goes rain or shine. Tickets are just $20 with children under 12 free. Call WERU at 469-6600 during regular business hours to get your passage to support Real Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. It is time now for our required weekly test of the emergency alert system. This is just a test. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org. And it is a minute past 10 o'clock. This is Community Radio. Stay tuned for Common Ground. Good morning, and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and agriculture here in the state of Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is CJ Walk, and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. right here on WERU. So the topic for today's show is homesteading here in Maine. Homesteading is typically viewed as a model of self-sufficiency, where homesteaders look to produce, create, or harness all or most of the items or processes that are part of their daily lives. Typically, homesteaders are thought of people who live off the land and grow most of their own food, but it goes a lot further than food, where homesteaders are also producing their own heat, electricity, energy, shelter, water, and even community. Homesteading can also be a political act, it's a lifestyle, it's a statement, and it's a way of focusing on what is truly important and necessary in our lives. So uh, today we're talking about homesteading, and I have three guests with me here in the studio. Uh, We have Elizabeth Siegel from Heritage Home Farm in Appleton. Elizabeth, thank you for being here today. Thank you. And then Emily Lowell from Featherfoot Farm in Aurora. So, Emily, thanks for being here today. Thank you. And then we also have John Twomey from Montville uh, at the old Howard Place in Montville, 
who is also the author of Retiring to, Not From. So, John, thanks for being here today. Thanks, <clears throat> thanks very much. Yep. Um, Glad to be here. So I'd like to just kind of circle back around and give you each a, a few minutes or whatever it takes to introduce yourselves. And I think, Elizabeth, if I could just start with <coughs> you and just give us a little bit about, um, about your home in Appleton. Sure. Um, we have Heritage Home Farm in Appleton on the Ridge. Um, we've been there since we bought the land in 2013. And as of last year, we're a Mofka certified organic farm. Um, mostly we focus on heirloom fruits and vegetables. Uh, we have now been also establishing a flock of Katahdin sheep. And we have a dairy cow and some goats. And we actually have some American guinea hogs. So kind of have a little old McDonald farm going on now. And, um, yeah, I'm very involved in the community um, with Mofka, with the Union Farmers Market, which is on Fridays from 3 to 6. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, great. Thank you, Elizabeth. And then, Emily, we'd circle over to you and a little bit about Featherfoot Farm in Aurora. Yeah, I live there with uh, my husband, and we have four children. Okay. Uh, we moved there 12 years ago from uh, the Scarborough area because we wanted to um, have more space and a place to raise the kids and farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a big organic garden with two hoop houses. Uh, we get wood off the land to heat. We have three wood stoves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have horses and goats. At one time we had a dairy cow, uh, but we have two kids in college now, so things are quieting down a little bit. <laughs> Um, we have 140 acres. Some of that's blueberries. Some of it's pasture. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are interested in, we're meeting with Revision Energy to talk about going solar uh, next week. Oh, okay. Great. That's good. All right. Thank you, Emily. And then, John, I guess to give you a moment about the Howard Place in Montville. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I bought the uh, Howard Place in 1978. And then retired in 2009 from teaching and uh, moved up there full-time with my partner, Lee. And we have 125 acres there. And we pretty much raise all of our own food, uh, have extensive blueberries and uh, 350 apple trees, uh, organic gardens. We raise heirloom chickens mm-hmm. and brook trout. Uh, we cut all of our own firewood for our heat, although we do have a, a propane fire to back up a hot water heating system. <clears throat> We're completely off-grid. Uh, a company named Penobscot Solar uh, did that for us. Daryl DeJoy is the owner of that. Put that in in seventy in 2008, so everything's off-grid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Works very well. And um, we live a quiet life. We work uh, to produce our own food, of course, and also uh, very much involved in wildlife habitat. Uh, that's a major factor for both Lee and me. We work on the fields, we work on brussy patches, uh, we work on the uh, wood, <coughs> wooded areas to make the uh, farm as uh, hospitable to wildlife as we possibly can. And we're fortunate to see all kinds of wildlife on a regular basis. So basically our aim is to have a peaceful life for ourselves, do a good work for our soil, and do great work for our wildlife habitat. And I would add to that, we're fortunate to live in an area of Maine. Of course, all of Maine is... Uh, uh, enthusiastic about wildlife and w- wilderness, <clears throat> but I think Montville may be the epicenter of that. Uh, my immediate neighbors, the Martins, are very supportive of wildlife and wild places. 
in all of the whole, we call it our neighborhood, mm-hmm. pretty much everyone in there, the new folks and the old folks as well, are very enthusiastic about wild places and wildlife. So it's a very peaceful and pleasant place to live. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, we'll get back to, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the, some of the details uh, about, about your homesteading. Um, I, wouldn't, I was going to say farming operation, but yeah. focus more on the homestead piece. Um, I'm kind of curious about, maybe I'll ask each of you again a little bit about the background piece, which um, that decision-making process that thought that brought you to this, the point of saying, all right, look, I want to build my own home or move into a place and start thinking about a little bit more of our my own self-sufficiency or food production. Um, and Elizabeth, I'll come back around and ask you maybe kind of what started that ball rolling for you and for your family. Yeah, um, my husband and I both grew up in the cities, so um, it's definitely something different for us um, to be farmers. We were actually just talking about how it's a little bit of a challenge sometimes because we don't have, because we don't come from families that farmed, we kind of can't ask our dad or mom, oh, what do we do about this? So a lot of the things that we have to just learn by doing. Um, And one of the ways that we did learn is through the WOOF program, um, we traveled around the United States and woofed on eight different farms, one of which was Featherfoot Farm, which is Emily's farm in Aurora, Maine. Mm-hmm. And we actually were there for a little over a year, I think. And that was kind of how we learned because, like I said, we couldn't refer to our family for help. So we had to learn from other people who were farming. And, um, yeah, so we just chose that lifestyle because we felt that it was a better quality of life. Um, we have a son now who's 18 months old, and we like to have mm-hmm. raise our family in this kind of an environment. Yeah. Okay. Understandable. I imagine the sentiments are probably the same for everyone. But, um, Emily, I just want to come around and just ask you about having bought the farm about 12 years ago um, from Scarborough. Was it more of a lifestyle change or... Were you doing similar things in Scarborough? Uh, we started doing some things in Scarborough. We were at Higgins Beach, which is a small beach community. Mm-hmm. And we had a wood stove out there, where, and we were boiling some sap. And uh, we got chickens, and then we got brave, and we got goats. Huh. And then the code enforcement officer came and told us we couldn't do that at Higgins Beach. Yeah. So... Um, we, I think we made the choice a lot because of having children. It just seemed natural to raise them with gardens and animals. Um, so homesteading really started with raising the kids. Uh, so it was a natural choice to find a, a nice land space and farm. And we did that through Maine Farm Link. And, uh, yeah, it's been a great experience for the kids to grow up there. Mm-hmm. The local school only has like 30 something kids in the school yeah and uh yeah i mean the kids got to milk a cow and see births Mm -hmm. and deaths and do maple sugaring and just be part of all that process it was really uh, a whole way of life and our whole lifestyle Mm -hmm. the population of aurora is around 100 okay so it's a very small Mm -hmm. small town yeah so it's it's, um I, i would highly recommend it to people um Maybe not too many people. <laughs> uh, also, with us, I I didn't have a lot of experience, so I learned every I learned how to milk a cow by milking a cow, or you mm-hmm. know, 
growing the garden or all of those things, making cheese, making butter. Um, my husband and I make a good team. He does a lot of the canning and preserving, and I do a lot of the growing, so we yeah. work well together. Okay. So was the farm... Um, <clears throat> Was it an operating farm when you bought it, or was it something that had been maybe out of production for a few years? Uh, no, it had a barn and fenced-in pastures, so I felt like we were actually very fortunate to okay. step into what we did. Yeah. Um, he had raised highland cattle. Okay. Uh, we've more been mostly vegetarian. We haven't raised animals for meat on the farm, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a little different, but still there was a lot there to get started with. Okay, some good infrastructure to yeah. start. Yeah. Okay. And John, I'm just going to turn to you because you said that you had bought the place there in Montville in 1978. Yeah. But working as a professor at the time. Right, exactly. Yes. I, as, a, as a child, I lived in a quite a rural area of Western Mass, <clears throat> pretty isolated area, actually. But there were farms in the area. We, weren't, we, we had a small farm, but weren't serious farmers. But I spent a lot of time working with and around uh, farmers who were my neighbors. And um, so I had a love of the land and sort of an early inclination to that. I'm a fairly quiet person by nature, so I enjoy, and so does Lee, fortunately enough, um, a peaceful, quiet, uh, rural existence. So the old farm where the Howards were uh, hadn't been operative for a long time. The buildings had been let go a bit, although the structures were good. And so um, we began the process of putting in gardens and so on there. And uh, just little by little, uh, developed a, uh, uh, an operating operation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what else I could say beyond that. Uh, um, I guess at this point, um, we're, we're very much involved in uh, gardening. We start all of our own plants from seed. Uh, we raise all of our own apples, uh, pears, peaches, the brook trout and chickens, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, really... Uh, um, it was sort of a return to the paradise that I had uh, enjoyed as a kid, and um, it's really very much our cup of tea at this point, a uh, quiet life in which we feel very self-sufficient uh-huh. and are involved with nature on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah, okay. So in those early years, were you commuting back and forth between the farm? And- y- yeah, yeah. Uh, I would spend the summers there okay. and then weekends as well. So I always had a garden and uh, raised chickens and homing pigeons in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then I'd have to transport those back to my place in Massachusetts. And during all of the years that I was teaching at UMass, I always had uh, chickens and I always had gardens and one or two small fruit trees. Mm-hmm. So I kept uh, my, my rural skills up to a degree by doing all of that during the uh, year at my home in, in, in Mass and then practicing it more and more in the summer. So the transition from teaching to uh, the rural life in Maine wasn't dramatic for me because I had been involved in it pretty steadily all along. And in addition to that, uh, when you teach, you're basically nurturing young people, young minds, and uh, young spirits. And so nurturing was was an integral part of that activity, and it's a very integral part of running a homestead. You're nurturing plants, you're nurturing your wife. Your, your, your domestic uh, fowl or brook trout or, and wildlife in the land. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, the, the, the two activities, while seemingly rather disparate and different, are uh, incredibly rather, 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 uh, rather similar. Now, as far as um, my exiting teaching, I did that happily after 37 happy, uh, wonderful years. 
And fortunately, I still stay in touch with a number of my students and mm-hmm. former colleagues and a few visit from time to time. Yeah. So I maintain that old link to the world of academia as well. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, I'm curious about kind of thinking about those early days and maybe what some of the challenges may be when you're trying to try make that transition, um, whether it's building up a new place from scratch or renovating, um, being told by the town you have can't have any goats with you in the yard. Um, what are some of the challenges along the way beyond, I think, Elizabeth, you had mentioned, you know, how do we learn these skills? Who do we ask for help? Um, but I think in those early years, were there any obstacles or any struggles, struggles that still go on today? <laughs> there are, I think there's always, there are always struggles. Um, and the biggest one is, I think, not having the knowledge and like like you said just um trying to learn and trying to learn without spending too much money um, we were just talking about this it's just so hard um you make mistakes and if you're a perfectionist it's hard to kind of sometimes accept the fact that you did something and even though you learned from it you kind mm-hmm. of regret that you might have done it a certain way and and so in the beginning, yeah, we were building a farm completely from scratch. And we were just talking about it. it was just a field. There was nothing. Yeah. I mean, there was no structure. There was no running water, nothing. Yeah. So now it's, you know, it's a working farm. Um, so we basically, every challenge, we faced every single challenge um, that you could possibly face mm-hmm. in building up a farm. Um, and we do on a daily basis. It's hard not to like go to bed at night and just think and worry about every single thing. You know, do you have enough pasture to feed the amount of animals that you have? Mm-hmm. Is your tractor stuck in the mud? How are you going to get it out? Um, just so many daily challenges. Are you going to be able to make it um, financially so that you can continue doing what you love? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's funny. I, I often feel either I have days where I either feel like um, I have the whole world on my shoulders or I'm on top of the world. Yeah. And it's like every other maybe every other day I have one feeling or the next. And I have to remind myself that, yes, you, today you feel like you have the whole world, the burden of the world on your shoulders. But yesterday you felt like you were on top of the world. You just have to keep reminding yourself of that feeling that you had two days ago because it just fluctuates. And I think that's really common with farming because you have days where all your planting is done and then days where you have all this planting that you need to do. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's an ebb and a flow and you just have to kind of, I don't know, stay strong and have your family um, beside you to do that. I think that's really important that Mm -hmm. you have them as a support system so that you don't feel like you're alone. Alone out there with the world on your shoulders. Yeah. <clears throat> More of a sense, a good sense of community that way within family as well. Um, okay. And I imagine any challenges, even with anyone just starting any type of operation, um, would, be, would be present, but also um, maybe just making that shift if you were, you know, moving from one state to another or maybe trying to get away to find the space to do what you want. Uh, some of those social challenges may arise as well, um, especially if you have 100 people in your town, <laughs> right? I think initially I felt isolated uh, when I moved there. My youngest was three months old, mm-hmm. so pretty much the only place I ever went was to the school, which was a few miles away, to have lunch with the other kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but I don't feel isolated now at all because I have a strong connection to the land. Mm-hmm. And we do have neighbors that like to come and help us and support us. Um, so that's changed. I think the challenge probably for me sometimes is just balancing time. Yes. I always would like more time on the farm um, because we have four kids. We have chosen to work part-time off the farm. I'm a therapist, and my husband's a sign language interpreter, so we both um, just want to make sure that we're not working away so much that we can't be doing and enjoying all the things that we like to do there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. John, did you want to add something? Yeah, yeah I would say that <clears throat> uh, I sort of transitioned into it relatively, relatively slowly, uh, not having moved up immediately in 1978. But I, I must uh, add that uh, the local people, the, uh, there were several families who were hugely helpful to me in feeling comfortable in the area. The Martins, my immediate neighbor Mo and Glenn Martin, were very helpful to me. And another family, the Thornleys, were also very helpful in those early years just to feel comfortable and to gain skills. And also, <clears throat> I didn't jump into the farming whole, whole with, with both feet, more, more heavy, heavy gardening, and I don't do any CSA or anything like that. I don't take any organic matter off the farm at all. I constantly build the uh, soil in my garden and in the fields and in the woods as well uh, So, uh, for the benefit of me and Lee as well as for the benefit of the wildlife as well. Um, for example, the uh, garden soil is now 12 to 18 inches higher than the, f- than the um, uh, field surrounding it mm-hmm. because of the organic matter that I've a- added year over the many many years, and we can discuss that more later yep. if if you'd like. Um, <clears throat> but I, I would finish that up by saying that uh, uh, it was a slow process, and I had a lot of help. Two, I, I hasten to add that um, whenever I encounter a slight difficulty now, uh, I will call uh, Mofka, or I will call if I have an issue with uh, apple grafting, I can call C.J. Walk, or I can call uh, John Bunker. Uh, and I had one issue with um, um, mowing my blueberries, and I was able to call Dave Yarborough up yep. at the University of Maine. So it's a huge amount of help uh, via those organizations, Maine Farmland Trust, MOFCA, um, uh, the Humane uh, Extension Service, mm-hmm. and then your neighbors. The old-timers are very knowledgeable about all sorts of things, and then the new folks who have learned, who have learned skills are also very, very helpful. And I would uh, add to all of that that everybody that I've ever asked a question of is hugely willing to help. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes I'll put a call in uh, to MOFCA or another organization, and I think, well, will anyone get back to me? And certainly someone does, but in no time at all. And they're willing to either discuss it or, in fact, come over and look at the problem and help you. Mm -hmm. So that's been real helpful to me. And I, I would add to that YouTube is uh, very, very beneficial. For example, uh, I've been working on grafting, and uh, if you want to learn the cleft graft or the bark graft or the whip and tongue graft or the bud graft, there are excellent YouTube programs there, mm-hmm. and then you can verify all that with C.J. Walk. Oh. <laughs> and and uh, make certain you're dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, all right, well, I just want to take a minute to... Remind folks that uh, you are tuned into WERU, and this is Common Ground Radio. And today we are talking about homesteading. And my guests in the studio are John Twomey of Montville and Emily Lowell from Aurora and Elizabeth Siegel from Appleton. Um, 
And uh, we will look to open the phone lines in maybe 10 minutes or so. Um, and I'll give out that number at that time. But I also wanted to just kind of come back to the learning the skills piece. Um, and John, you had mentioned learning from neighbors and Elizabeth through woofing and, um, and all that. But I, I'm also uh, curious about kind of that ongoing education and the sharing of information, um, what you've learned from others and how you look to pass that on. So are there, um, I know that there's an event coming up soon, I'm just wondering about how, uh, how you go about kind of sharing these resources or, or sharing these skills. Um, Elizabeth, do you wanna jump yeah. in first? So um, actually, Emily and John and I, we all have met through MOFCA and through the educational resources that they offer. So Emily and I are both um, coordinators along with Becca Gagne for um, the farm and homestead area at the Common Ground Fair. Um, and we run the children's um, tent in that area. So we do lots of different activities um, with children, grinding wheat into flour. Um, we shake butter and make cream. Um, we make corn husk dolls to really um, show farming and homesteading activities for children. So we're involved in the educational side with the Common Ground Fair. Um, last year, I got involved with Farm and Homestead Day, which is an event. It's an amazing event that not as many people know about. It's actually a completely free event that is every June. This year, it's on June 17th. And I actually met John last year through that event. Um, he and Lee come every year. You said you've done it for six years yeah. now. Mm -hmm. And they come and they build uh, bluebird boxes, um, mostly with the children, but anyone yeah. can do the activity. He actually came two weeks ago to the Union Farmer's Market and did it that with us fun. there as mm -hmm. well. Nice. So kind of getting involved with um, all these different links. Mm -hmm. um, so a little more details about Farm and Homestead Day. Um, so we basically offer a whole bunch of different skill sharing um, activities. They're all hands-on. So unlike um, the fair where mostly you go to a talk, mm -hmm. um, Farm and Homestead Day is an activity where you'll actually take part in doing an activity. Many times you get to actually take something home with you. Um, so June 17th, it starts at 9 a.m. Um, with tea and crumpets. This year we're going to be hopefully cooking everything on a wood-burning stove. So trying to move towards more renewable energy. We'll have several wood-burning stoves. We'll actually have a workshop on how to run your wood-burning stove. Um, we'll be cooking uh, stone soup on the wood-burning stove. So we're encouraging um, people who come to the event to bring an item to include in the stone soup. Mm -hmm. um, we'll also have bean hole beans and we'll be cooking, um, like I said, we'll be cooking up. I think I'm gonna bring Welsh cakes to cook on the wood stove and it is a potluck lunch that we have. So the event starts at 9 a.m. in the morning and it runs all day. And then we have all different tracks. So we have the Joe Dupree Skillshare track. So he was one of the original founders mm -hmm. of Farm and Homestead Day. And um, participants get the opportunity to learn how to window glaze. You can do blacksmithing. We have a track um, for the animal track called Critters. This year, last year we did rabbit processing. This year we're going to do chicken processing. Um, uh, Jock Roby is going to come and do vermicomposting. Um, and all the people who come, like John who comes, or Jock who's coming, they all donate the time and the materials. So um, Jock told me, I just spoke to him, he has 50 worm bins that he builds. At, this is something he does. He's retired. 
completely for free, and he travels all around um, the, the state, and he brings these bins, and he's just encouraging people to get into vermicomposting. So he'll be bringing 10 bins mm-hmm. to Farm and Homestead Day. So you get to come to the event, and you get to go home with a worm bin. It's already ready to go. You have your worms ready to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do you find that, where you get this completely for free? It doesn't cost anything. Yeah. Um, we have the Sheep to Shawl track, which is an amazing track. Um, basically get to do everything from shearing a sheep all the way from learning how to pick, skirt, wash, weave, spin, crochet. I mean, it's for fiber. The fiber track is huge. Um, Obviously, we have more of the food stuff. So um, we have the Main Grain Alliance bringing their masonry oven to make pitas and corn tortillas. Um, I'll be doing some of the stuff that we do uh, during the Common Ground Fair. We'll be making bread and butter. Um, We're going to try something new this year. We're going to make popcorn balls from popcorn we grew last year. Um, kefir kombucha, sourdough starters. Um, one of the really cool things that we do also is we have a lot of um, workshops that children lead the workshops. So we have a whole track called Nature Craft, mm-hmm. um, and we have one young girl who makes paper. We have another girl who's going to come and do modeling clay into vegetables and flowers um, to make flower crowns. There's really something for everyone. Obviously, we have playing in dirt, which is more building a garden, different gardening things. Um, We have a wild crafting track where you can actually walk around the grounds of Mafka and put together an herbal herbal first aid kit. Mm -hmm. Um, And this year, for the first time, we actually have um, a Be the Change track, which will be citizen activism. So people will get to role play and learn how they can get involved in uh, making a change through yeah. the government. So it's a really amazing event and 100%, like I want to emphasize, 100% free to the public. And um, and you said that that was on June 17th? June 17th, yeah. And it is at the Mofka grounds in yes. Unity, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. Okay. Um, well, how about... Um, I'll look to open up the phone line so we can get some callers with any comments or questions. And again, this is Common Ground Radio. Uh, we're talking about homesteading here uh, on the show today. So it sounds like the three of you are all involved with mm-hmm. the farm and homestead event. Um, and John, you work on building bluebird nest boxes. Uh, yeah, um, <clears throat> we've uh, kept uh, bluebird nest boxes on our property for, for years. I've had them there since 78 and, uh, I'm sorry. Can I interrupt for a Sure. I look like I didn't mention the phone number for folks to call in. So um, <laughs> the, the toll-free number to call in with any comments or questions is 1-866-625-9378. Sorry for not mentioning that. That's um, okay. Back great, to you, great, John, great. and the Bluebird Box. Yeah, so we, we, we do uh, workshops. We do them for the Midcoast uh, Conservancy, uh, occasionally another organization. And uh, for six years, we've done them for MOFCA. And uh, for the Farm and Homestead Day, and it's a, a pleasant activity. We bring all the, all the materials and so on, and a sheet as a construction sheet. And what's most rewarding, really, is to see the sense of accomplishment in a kid's eyes uh, when they saw out their pieces of the bird box and nail it all together and then proudly walk around the uh, uh, Mofka campus uh, holding their birdhouse. And uh, inevitably, kids come back year after year. Mm-hmm. And they'll report to us which birds have taken their houses and so on and so forth. Um, 
which is quite rewarding. In addition to that, sometimes the parents become quite involved, and we have a couple of uh, adults who come back year after year saying, well, we built four houses, and we put them up in various locations. We give them instructions on how to get the pole and how to construct it, where to put it, and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> beyond that, as far as education, we also are doing this year a wildlife habitat walk on uh, the Howard Place on our farm uh, so that uh, up to 20 people can see the different kinds of habitat management uh, efforts that we're making in our fields and the brushy patches with apple trees, with planting oak trees, and yep. managing forests for the benefit of wildlife. That'll be on June 29th, and that's through the Midcoast uh, uh Midcoast Conservancy, it's on their website. Uh, beyond that, of course, the book that I wrote details, re really in, in excruciating details, detail uh, all that we do on the farm, all of the gardening, all the apple tree management, uh, the uh, grafting and the uh, wildlife management, all of that is included in great detail. I should add to that that I do grafting for neighbors. Mm -hmm. This year, my neighbor down the way, Bob, I grafted a we grafted a couple of trees for him. And then another uh, couple across the way, John and Leslie, we grafted nine trees on their property. So we're fomenting those skills that you have been okay. so helpful to me in gaining. Um, well, it looks like we do have a caller. So yeah. our caller, if you want to go ahead and tell us your name and the town you're calling from, and then comment or question, please. Hi, yeah, it's David. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Uh, and I, I'm really enjoying the program. Thanks a lot for the, for the topic, homesteading. Uh, Late in life, going back to homesteading on an acre of clear-cut woods, uh, uh, sort of in uh, in uh, frustration of being able to find any other significant mode of political activism. And uh, uh, I, I really have liked what you say. I look forward to getting out to Common Ground on the seventeenth. Uh, I. I'm a little troubled by uh, the dismissal of not too many people homesteading. Uh, to me, you can never get too many people homesteading. And the problem, uh, of course, with a lot of people homesteading is where are you going to put them all? And, uh, you know, I just want to offer my experience that an acre is plenty to deal with. Uh, by the time you're totally composting everything, uh, digging holes for your own water, saving water from the roof, trying to make a garden. You know, uh, you got your hands full with an acre, and there's so many stray acres around here and there. Uh, I think what we need, as well as uh, expertise at building bluebird houses, which is very, very important, is we need expertise at building small, livable, insulated structures for people who, can, who, you know, are willing to make the sacrifice, which it is, and come from the city and from their 21st, 22nd century uh, computerized life and uh, uh, make a go of this, you know, uh, land that we're occupying, this beautiful bioregion that we're a part of. So I really enjoy the show, and I'll get off there. Thanks uh, okay. a lot. Okay. Thanks for calling, David. Um, how about just look at David's comment about small structure building? Is there, um, at the event you mentioned, any? Yeah, any so like I mentioned pieces? earlier, we're going to have the window glazing. Um, there are other, those tend to come under the Joe Dupree skill share. Yeah. Um, and um, 
the gentleman who called, David, if he's interested in, um, we're always looking for rabble, we call ourselves rabble, so volunteers who want to help with Farm and Homestead Day, with the planning committee, and um, if you have a workshop you're looking to, you know, either you want to run a workshop or if you know someone who could run a workshop, we're always looking for input Mm -hmm. um, for different workshops. Okay. All right. Um, and I'll just give out the call-in number again, which is one 625 9378 And this is Common Ground Radio, and we're talking about homesteading today. Um, and then I think, Emily, I just wanted to ask you about the Farm and Homestead Day event, what role you play in, in the, uh, the event of that day. Uh, at the Mafka Fair, I'd run the Children's Farm and Homestead with Elizabeth, and uh, I think she already mentioned a lot of You actually of it. started it, right, Emily? I, I started it, yeah, because I felt like at the fair um, it was nice to have the children's area, but there wasn't a, a lot particular to just farming, mm-hmm. so I wanted to bring in some hands-on, hands-on activities. Okay. And at our farm, um, we've run farm camps for several years, and so we... Yes. We do chores with the kids in the morning, um, and then one group will go out and work in the garden and gather things to bring into the kitchen, and then another group will be in the kitchen um, taking care of what's brought in and cooking. That's great. Um, Mm -hmm. They've also done horseback riding and swimming. Um, We've done day camps and overnight camps. Uh, So that's been another way that we've tried to share some of the... Uh, resources. As our kids are getting older, I think we're interested in um, maybe having some retreats there in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't oh, have okay. a we don't have a structure right now, so that's probably the next the next step. There. The next step, yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Well, it seems like there's all sorts of opportunities for folks to kind of share skills and um, and learn something new, as share what you've learned and learn something new along the way. Um, John, I wanted to come back to you um, just to ask you, because you mentioned the book that you have written. Oh, yeah. Um, and I thought I'd maybe just ask you to just say a few minutes about uh, the book Retiring To, Not From. Sure. Um, well, I wrote the book principally uh, as a sort of a family, fam- a little piece of family history. Uh, my children and grandchildren uh, don't live p- particularly near, and they're not able to get to the farm as much as they'd like to. Um, so... Uh, a while back, uh, they discussed wa- wanting to know dates and details re- regarding um, uh, gardening, uh, raising chickens, raising brook trout, managing habitat, growing, grafting apple trees, and so on. So I began to put together pieces, and bits and pieces of that, and it just sort of grew from there. So it's a, a, a nice composite of everything that goes on in great detail. Uh, seasonally on the farm, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I sort of get into a, a, a lot of the aspects of the rewards and the wonder of it all, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, that that this, that sort of life is absolutely filled with wonder on a daily basis, whether it's seeing a plant take root and thrive, uh, whether it's seeing your cupboards full at the end of the uh, season, your freezer full, or your uh, root cellar full, or seeing wildlife take advantage of some initiative that you've taken in a particular place. There's an old saying that nature abhors a vacuum, and there's another saying, if you build it, they will come. So when you work on apple trees or oak trees or uh, uh, mow in a certain fashion and you see uh, bumblebees and blue orchard bees and the other mason bees take advantage of that and the deer take advantage of 
the uh, grassy areas and so on, it's, there's a, a terrific amount of wonder. And seeing tree swallows come back to bird houses and the barn swallows come back to the barn and watching their flight patterns and so on is, is full, full of uh, excitement. So plenty of that is included in the book as well. Um, it was a joy to write, and uh, the first printing sold out right off the bat. We're into the second printing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been a, a, a nice pro- process and a nice way, too, to share uh, with other people uh, a lot of the things that we've learned, the lessons that we've learned, and really to a degree the expertise that we've developed over the years in how to do these things because it is difficult, uh, no question about it, and to have a, 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 any form of a mentor, whether it's an individual or, or a book, uh, is profoundly helpful, and I do think this book has a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so intimate details on the, the Howard place. Right, yes. Yeah, intimate details on, a, on life on a remote farm in Maine, yes. And it, it, do you want me to mention where to get it? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so sure. It, uh, it can be bought via a number of bookstores or by simply going to the website johnhtoomey.com, J-O-H-N-H-T-W-O-M-E-Y.com. Okay. And uh, my website's there and so on and so forth. It's, it's pretty... Uh, straightforward once you're there mm-hmm. okay well, i think it's um it's interesting that uh in terms of we talked about kind of acquiring these skills but uh but everybody seems really willing to share those skills and and be able to teach what they've learned to others um that seems to be a big part of of moving through life here right um okay so uh, I'll give out the call-in number again if anyone has any comments or questions. We're talking about homesteading today, and the number is one 625 9378 And I think for the next few minutes, um, I just wanted to ask some questions more about some of the specific skills, I guess, um, and some of those rural skill pieces. And um, one thing that had occurred to me while we were speaking earlier in talking about gardening, um, I'm just curious if uh, how you would view kind of that homestead garden piece compared to kind of like a farm operation piece, which I feel like there's some overlap um, in the room. Are there, um, looks like we may have another caller, but I'll... I'll preface it by, uh, after the caller, I'll ask if there are differences in structure or strategy. Um, but it looks like we do have a caller on the line. If you'd go ahead with your name and the town you're calling from, and then your comment and question, please. Hi, my name's Dan from Searsmont. My wife and I are homesteaders, and I've, we've recently seen a film in, that had uh, guinea hogs in it, and they seemed fascinating. And I would wonder if Elizabeth or anyone else could speak to that, and I'll take the response on it off the, on the radio. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Well, I guess we actually just just got our American guinea hogs. Okay. In January. Yeah. Um, and believe it or not, after this radio show, we're going to pick up the boar piglet um, from a gentleman, Nathan, who I think does a, uh, he DJs here, I think he told me. Oh, okay. So they, um, so we'll be getting a boar piglet and we're planning to um, breed the pigs. And we're mostly going to use them to um, clear our woods because we have um, 23 acres of wood. So we'd like a little bit more pasture than what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have some 
old apple trees in the orchard in um, out in the woods. Um, they've just overgrown. The woods have overgrown, and there's some really great old varieties. We had John Bunker identify some of them for us, so we'd really like to um, reclaim that part of the woods. Yes. And so we're going to try and use them um, as much as we can out in the woods. Um, so we bought two females from an organic farm in January, and now we're going to get the um, the male yeah. um, and. From what I've heard about the American guinea hogs and just our experience in having them for the last few months is that they're very friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, they eat very little, um, mm-hmm. which is their mm-hmm. the original basically lard pig, um, so the original homesteading pig. As an heirloom farm or heritage farm, that's what we try and do. Um, we actually, uh, I'll just as a side comment, um, John gave us some of his um, golden campini chickens that he raises, and that's a very rare um, breed of chickens. So we've tried to move all of our livestock over to the heritage breeds, including um, now the American guinea hogs. Um, so they're, it, it's a good homesteading um, pig because it um, eat, doesn't eat very much. So mm-hmm. they, eat, they can survive on, you know, less than a quart of grain a day. And if you, like we have the goats from Emily who gave us her goats, um, we milk them. And then if we make cheese, we can feed the whey to the, to the mm-hmm. hogs. Mm-hmm. So we basically are um, dim- t- cutting back on how much we're having to buy food in for yeah. them. Um, yeah. And when they're out in the woods, we've been told that they... Um, we won't need to feed them, you know, any grain at all. So I can't say that we've actually done it yet. Um, they're not out just yet. Um, and we haven't yeah, faced the challenge of putting the fencing up yet for them. But um, from what I've heard, they're a great breed. And they're very rare. I think at one point there were only a few mm-hmm. hundred in the United States. So um, and actually our hope is um, to breed them for for to sell the mm-hmm. stock. So not necessarily for the meat, yeah. but just so that we can bring back the breed. Um, okay. as a homesteading cog. Okay. Well, I think we do have another caller wow. on the line. Um, if you would like to go ahead with your your name and the town you're calling from and then comment or question. Um, this is Barbara, and I'm calling from St. George, Maine. I actually, I just messaged a young man that was trying to home, get a homestead started last summer. Um, he's my son's, one of my son's, very best friends and they both got together at the beginning at at late spring last year um, deciding to give it a try the the one guy had grown up farming or at least being around farms for quite a bit and he thought that he would be able to do it so they each had a small trailer to live in and the other, the not my son, but the other guy had girlfriend there for support, and um, they really worked hard at what they were doing. They were up north of Farmington, um, but in the end, it got to be too much because the young woman and my son were both leaving every day to go to jobs so they could make money, which I know is probably what everybody does at least at first mm-hmm. but um, the the fellow that was really the most determined um, unfortunately broke his leg in the middle of a lot of other issues that they would were you know steep learning curve I guess 
you know, it was way beyond just going camping for a weekend. They really tried this for maybe three or four months until this young man broke his leg. And then he was really badly out of commission and the others weren't there to help him all day long. So they, they kind of gave up and it was unfortunate, but I'm just wondering if you have comments about that, about try, try again, or how to prepare for this, you know, warnings about anything. But I know they both, I know they all learned a lot from it. And I feel sort of, I mean, I'm sure they're all okay, but I, you know, I just feel badly that it didn't work out. Okay, Barbara. Well, we'll ask our guests about the, the, the try, try again piece. We talked a little bit earlier about some of the struggles and world on the shoulder part. Um, try, try again, Emily. <laughs> if first you don't I would succeed. say uh, also to not take on too much uh, mm-hmm. at, right away. That sometimes, you know, you, you kind of have to build slowly. Mm-hmm. That I've seen sometimes when people try to uh, attempt to accomplish too many things at one time, it can become over- overwhelming and frustrating. You know, so maybe you, you know, so you start off with a small garden and some chickens, and you kind of have, I think one way to do it is to slowly build. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that, that building slowly is, is, is wise. Uh, but also, uh, and I think maintaining a dream and persevering is also quite critical. Okay. So I would say that if it's in their hearts to do this, that they should uh, give it another try. But again, as Emily said, uh, take it slowly and build your confidence slowly. Have success and then build one success upon another. And don't try to take on too much because it, you can easily find yourself underwater and overwhelmed by it and discouraged. Okay. But the name of the game really in life, as well as in homesteading, is perseverance. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me okay? I think we might have had a little bit of mic trouble, but um, go ahead. So Did it seem okay? continue with the perseverance piece. Yeah, yeah. I, as I was saying, the, uh, the name of the game in life, as well as in homesteading, is perseverance. And I think what Emily said, I'm repeating myself now, I know, but... Um, perhaps the uh, listeners didn't hear this. Uh, as Emily said, mm-hmm. not taking on too much is wise. Uh, to build your confidence slowly, begin with gardening, begin with uh, chickens, and feel success, and then add to that, and then talk to a lot of people who have had similar success, and uh, stay in touch with folks, and and uh, and and just uh, never give up on your dream and persevere. And mm-hmm. in life, really, we all know. Uh, that uh, perseverance, staying with the task, is the name of the game. Uh, it's uh, it's more an issue of uh, uh, perspiration than it is inspiration. <laughs> really, at the end of the day, uh, staying with it is will uh, will will almost inevitably win the win the day. So, if it's in their hearts, I would suggest that they strong uh, suggest strongly that they mm-hmm. give it another try, but do so with patience and and slow. Maybe get help too. You know, Don't be afraid to ask for some help. We've just been yeah. talking about all these resources that are out there. Mofka has a number yeah. of programs for people who want to farm. There's the Journey Journeyman Journey Jer- Person Journey Person program, and there's woofing. So if they want to do it, you know, they can woof on a farm like we did with Emily um, at her farm. And you don't have to take on all the. Um, it's like you you can learn, but but all the um, oh, what's the word like. Responsibility isn't on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not all the responsibility is on yeah. you, so that you don't have to until you feel confident enough to go off and do it by yourself. Yeah. 
And that seems like a good way to kind of start small. Yeah. Yes. And even then, I mean, I have days where sometimes I feel like just giving up. I mean, I think everyone has days like yeah. that, just yeah. like I was saying earlier. But I yeah. think, like I said before, relying on your friends and your family for that support is huge. So mm-hmm. maybe finding a community. If It sounds like they might have just been isolated. And, and the working off-farm thing, it's a real challenge. I mean, we really didn't want to work off-farm. And I am working off-farm a little bit. Yeah. Um, luckily, not a lot. But you do. You have to pay the bills, so you have to find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that was your question before we got the caller, right, about the American guinea hogs? The Uh, difference between farming and just raising a garden for yourself versus selling. Yeah, and I was just curious if we can jump back to that piece, just the part about um, if you were just just raising a garden yourself to put away your own food – compared to if you're looking to produce for a farmer's market and then um, pulling from those crops to produce your own food. I'm just wondering if there's differences in techniques. So maybe, John, you had mentioned a lot of your soil building. Uh, Yeah. Um, Uh, We, we, as I said before, we don't sell anything or even take any organic matter off the farm. mm -hmm. Since 78, I've kept all of the organic matter on the farm. And so I, I mow... I use a heavy mulch uh, system, and I, I've, done, I've never rototilled my, my, my garden once. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never turned the soil over once. Uh, I start off with a heavy mulch and add that constantly. I have a, a neighbor, Mo Martin, a, a chip, a, a, a bunch of uh, trees uh, from the ledge area for me for <clears throat> wood chips. We add that to the garden. We gather seaweed, any shells we can get. All of the ash from our five cords of wood go into the garden or around the fruit trees, and I use a similar tra- technique on my uh, on my all of my apple trees that are that are that, that we want to produce apple, apples from, uh, so, sort of like a, a hugel culture in reverse. While hugel culture buries the logs, we put wood right on top of the soil, hay right on top of the soil, ash right on top of the soil, a little bit of azomite on top of the soil, mm-hmm. so you get a good fungal activity going there. And I don't know the intricacies of that, but I, I think there are many people who do. There are a lot of books written on this. But if you if you provide all of this uh, this this organic matter, uh, the soil will be built up, and the worms are, are right there. I mean, my, my my garden is absolutely full of nightcrawlers and worms, mm-hmm. and they're constantly coming up and turning that organic matter into soil. And as I, as I said, the soil in my garden is 12 to 18 inches higher than the surrounding fields. And likewise, under my apple and pear and and uh, peach trees, I maintain a heavy mulch with wood on top of that and wood underneath it. So it's all rotting and all being consumed, and the trees and, and the plants just seem to absolutely love it. And Lee and I often say, you know, we'll bite into a carrot or an apple that's off one of those trees, and you can just taste the, the, uh, the, the, the nutrient density mm-hmm. that is in those vegetables and in those fruits. It's a hugely different experience from anything you'd buy in the average in, in the market. Yep. So we are... are Fortunate in that we, 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 we did work our, our whole adult lives and then retired, so we aren't pressed for finances to have to sell things from the farm, mm-hmm. which is a huge advantage. I mean, the young people who do this and who are having CSAs, I admire them so much. They work so hard. They're so disciplined. They're so well-informed. We are not in that situation. So uh, for, as retirees, we're able to just keep everything right there and and, and work on improving the, 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 the quality of the soil under those things that we eat for our benefit and also the same process in the woods and in the fields for the wildlife. So we should have a, 
mm-hmm. bunch of uh, well-fed, uh, happy critters <laughs> on, on the Howard Place, <laughs> us including the wildlife. Okay, great. Um, and Elizabeth, you guys are going to farmers market. Is that what you mentioned? Yeah, we do the, the Union the Farmers Union? Market, which is an like I said, I know we don't have a lot of time, but it's an amazing market. Um, yeah. Every Friday from three to six. Uh, we actually have a theme for every week of our market, and we have children's activities. It's very much a community event. Today is actually our kids' market, so if anyone is in the area, um, our kids will actually be selling at the market. Yeah, um, we'll have face painting and we're making a big banner for, for the kids' area. Um, so kind of getting to incorporate a lot of the stuff that Emily and I do um, and what we do at Farm and Homestead Day and what we do at um, the Common Ground Fair for children mm-hmm. and uh, educating them about farming because they're the future. Mm-hmm. I, I want to just add quickly that Union Farmers Market is a vibrant, uh, exciting place to be. I, I, it was my first time there uh, on the Birdhouse Building Project the other, uh, the other the other week. But I was amazed at the number of vendors mm. and the enthusiasm of the people yeah. going around. It really I think we were one of the top ten. We were in the magazine for the top ten farmers markets in yeah. Maine, which for little farmers market, you know, yeah. we put a lot a lot of work and effort in. It's a beautiful market right on the Common in yeah. Union. Okay, beautiful thing. Fridays from 3 to 6. Okay. Um, Emily, for you in terms of farm, are you do you go to markets as well or are you focused on home production? Yeah, when we've had apprentices, sometimes they've wanted to go to a farmer's market or do a small CSA. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, I've always wanted to put my attention towards uh, putting things in the root cellar and putting yeah. things on the table okay. and preserving. So that's been my focus. Okay. All right. And I think part of what I was wondering is, is just the kind of the, the structure of the farm and the place was different if you're thinking about productions for CSAs and regular weekly markets um, compared to filling the cupboard or the root cellar and freezers and whatnot. Yeah. So um, Quite a different deal. Well, we are getting into the final minutes of the show. Um, we've been talking about homesteading today and... Uh, I wanted to just circle around because we had talked about learning experiences and sharing skills and make sure that uh, we could give out some of these opportunities where we had mentioned the Farm and Homestead Day, which is on June 17th. Yep, June 17th at 9 a.m. Um, most of the workshops will be starting at 9.30. They're, most of them are about an hour, but some of them do run for a whole half a day or a whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll have lunch at noon. Um, like I said, we're encouraging people to bring an item for the stone soup, bring an item for the potluck. Um, and one thing I did forget is that we have a plant swap, which is oh. amazing. And Emily, I think, is going to help this year with the plant swap. Um, so if you have some plants you want to share or if you um, need some plants, you can come and there's a great selection of plants. So just a wonderful skill share. Um, we are looking for volunteers. I will mention that, CJ. Um, We will be setting up from the Wednesday before, so I'm not sure what day that is. Maybe the 15th? It's the 15th or the 16th. We'll be setting up on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we'll we'll also need volunteers post the event on the Sunday. Um, So anyone who is interested in volunteering, you can contact Anna Libby at 207-568-4142, or you can email her at alibby.com. L-I-B-B-Y at mofka.org and uh, we'll get you on the list to help out. Okay, and I'm sure that 
any contacts with anyone in the Mafka circles would be able to direct people in the right in the right direction. So, um, but we are at the end of the show, more or less here, and we were speaking are talking about homesteading in Maine today, and I would like to thank my guests, uh, Elizabeth Siegel from Heritage Home Farm in Appleton, and Emily Lowell from Featherfoot Farm in Aurora, as well as John Tomey from Montville. Um, I'd like to thank you guys for all being here today. Thank you, Steve. And I'd like to thank everyone listening, and especially our callers that called in with comments and questions. And Common Ground Radio is here the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m., uh, on WERU and I would like to thank Joel Mann for engineering today's show and stay tuned for On The Wing. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from